Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. G'day, mates. It's Bee Buster here. So before the episode begins, I would just like to say a huge thank you to CastBox for helping me make the CastBox original, Be Scared, which is produced along with Studio 71. CastBox is the fastest growing, highest rated podcast app on both iOS and Android, and you can find all of your favorite podcasts there. Personally, I think CastBox is the best podcasting platform out there, and I hope you guys check it out, because I think you'll be surprised at just how much variety they have, and how user-friendly their app is. Anyway guys, thanks for listening, and without further ado, let's begin. The Showers Part 1 by Clover10176 Every area and all parts of the world has those area-specific urban legends that just refuse to die. Whether the stories are about a haunted asylum on the outskirts of the city, a creature that lives in the nearby woods, or a ghost that haunts a lonely stretch of road outside of town, there is always a common thread within the tales. No one has ever been to these places, seen the creatures or witnessed any hauntings with their own eyes. There are members of every generation who will proclaim that they know someone whose brother's best friend or sister went to the haunted house with 13 floors that used real blood and snakes and spiders and is so scary that no one has ever made it all the way through. Those same people will swear by these stories without ever being able to provide a shred of evidence or a name of someone who could provide proof of the claims simply because everyone around here knows that it's a true story. The storytellers eventually pass the tales on to their children, who modify them just enough to keep them up with the changing times. And the cycle continues. I'm as skeptical as anyone when it comes to these stories, seeing as I was like a junkie when I was younger, constantly searching for terrifying stories about whatever area of the country I was living in at the time. I made up and spread stories about haunted pizza parlors in New York, my cousin's encounter with the Jersey Devil, 
Or how my grandfather encountered a feral, human-like demon creature in the woods of Colorado. I even broke the one rule with these stories by putting myself in them. But this took guts, in hindsight, because I had to make sure that I always told the same story the same way. Surprisingly, no one ever called my bluff, too. I like to think that I have had some wonderful contributions to various urban legends around the Midwest and Northeastern states. I moved around a lot. There was always a surge of joy whenever I would wander the halls at school and hear one of my classmates retelling my stories to another one of his friends, adding little bits here and there like a massive game of telephone. I knew, of course, that the stories were complete fiction, but I stood my ground whenever someone asked me about them. I would even manage to act a little bit, speaking with a shaky voice or looking scared when I would recount a situation that I supposedly experienced myself. I suppose this aspect of my childhood has led to my current predicament, which I'll recount in full for all of you guys to take from it what you will. I have laid this little introduction out as a sort of disclaimer, aimed particularly at those who will call my story into question. I have been like the boy who cried wolf for years, but I assure you with every ounce of honesty and integrity that I have at this time, the wolf, it's real. From my introduction, it's probably apparent that I moved around the country quite a bit in my middle and high school years. Neither of my parents had anything to do with any branch of armed forces. They simply just didn't tend to hang around any given place for too long. I suppose that it had some sort of effect on me, but I wasn't hurt by it or anything of the sort. Growing up, I was a complete ham. I made friends very easily, was often the class clown, and because of that, was often disliked by my teachers. Again, this was never an issue, as I was usually in another state by the time the next semester rolled around anyway. But my friendships were often fleeting, as were any positive relationships that I ever had with my teachers. Because of the events that followed, my memory of one teacher in particular is probably slightly skewed, but I'll attempt to give the least biased version of our friendship that I can. Mr. Mays was one of my social study teachers in the early years of my high school experience. But being older now, I can understand how horrible children are to deal with around that age, and I respect him to no ends for the way that he was able to connect with the students. He seemed like one of us. He talked like us, made pop culture references that were current, listened to cool music, and sometimes he would even say hell or damn while he was giving a passionate lecture about Native American history or something like that. A teacher that swore, even a little bit, was the epitome of cool to a freshman in high school. My memories of Mr. Mays mostly stem from the way that he really got into anything that he was doing. The instance that is still very vivid in my mind was, of course, around Halloween of my sophomore year. Mr. Mays had the typical teacher decorations around the classroom. Smiling jack-o'-lanterns and black cat cartoons. Typical and boring in the minds of egotistic high school students. However, on the 31st of October, when most other teachers were rolling their eyes at the fact that teenagers still took dressing up in costumes on Halloween seriously, Mr. Mays took the whole cool teacher thing to a new level. We walked into the classroom and were surprised to find the blinds drawn, sheets over the small windows, 
candles lighting the room and a single frowning jack-o'-lantern sitting on a stool in front of the desks. Mr. May sat at his desk, just watching the students come into class and take their seats. He didn't even ask anyone to be quiet because the moment that everyone walked into the room, they were either too excited to care about petty conversations or too confused to bother with them anymore. The students took their seats as Mr. Mays began his lecture. He spoke quietly to set the mood and took a seat on a chair right next to the jack-o'-lantern in the center of the room. You know, today is probably my favorite day of the year, class, he said in a monotonous voice. Halloween is my favorite holiday, and I want to share with you exactly why I love it so much. One girl raised her hand with a concerned look on her face. I'm pushing the due date for your papers to next Thursday, said Mr. Mays without bothering to look at the girl who slowly put her hand down, looking around at the other students with a hint of embarrassment. The class erupted in quiet cheers, and Mr. Mays waited for the inevitable silence. He began his story immediately after the class had calmed down. I will attempt to recreate the amazing story that Mr. Mays told the class that day. The way in which he told this story rendered the horror junkies speechless, and the rest of the class terrified. The same girl that had raised her hand to ask about the paper was holding her knees to her chest by the end of it, a look of horror on her face. The important thing to know was what the story was about. The specifics slipped my mind now and aren't too relevant. I'll try to recount the parts of the story that matter the most, but don't hold me to it. Basically, Mr. Mays and his friends set out on a road trip around the country after graduating from college. They took a truck, loaded it with camping gear, and set out to sightsee for the entire summer. The group went from New Jersey down to the coast of Florida, New Orleans to California, and up to Washington. From there, they went to the Rocky Mountains in Colorado and then back to New York. This concept of freedom to travel anywhere had the entire class hooked in an instant. Mr. Mays was the coolest teacher ever, in my eyes too. Being adventurous college kids, the group didn't bring a map. There were no time constraints, so they just kind of drove in the general direction they wanted to go and eventually found a town to stay in or some place that looked interesting. He told us that after spending a week in Colorado, he and his friends had to travel through miles and miles of corn, plains and more corn. He assumed that they were either in Nebraska or Kansas when they decided to pull their extra cash and stay in a hotel for the night. They settled into a motel in some town that Mr. Mays could barely remember the name of when one of his friends realized that they were somewhere near his grandfather's farm. He wasn't entirely sure where it was, but being adventurous college kids, they decided to get a quick refund from the motel and try to contact the friend's grandpa. They were unable to get a hold of the grandpa on the phone, so the group figured it would be fun to just show up. Mr. Mays' friend was adamant that his grandparents would take them in and feed them without a moment of hesitation. So the group set out with an hour of sunlight, seeking the salvation of a comfortable house to stay in. In Kansas or Nebraska or wherever it may have been, there aren't a whole lot of natural markers that could guide lost travelers. 
any directions given to someone who didn't live around the area basically amounted to go a couple of miles to the corn, take a right and go down a dirt road to the other corn. There should be some wheat on your right, etc., etc. So, as is the case in most scary stories, the group, they got lost. Never wanting to admit defeat though, they drove into the night making wrong turns every five minutes until they found themselves on a wooded road that Mr. Mays' friend was certain that his grandparents lived off of. Mr. Mays described the road as basically a dark path to hell. I wasn't entirely sure how true this was because he got very excited and a bit ridiculous with his explanations of the trees that almost tried to grab the car and the red eyes of countless animals looking at them from the darkness. But regardless, the typical horror tropes worked on most of the class. Everyone was terrified at this time. So, the group of guys drove on this dark road for about 15 minutes before they came to a clearing and a small building with lights in it, and what seemed to be a silo. They figured that, at the very least, the people who lived here would be able to help them find where the guy's grandparents lived. The whole idea of everyone knows everyone in these hick parts of the country fueled his hope. They pulled the car up near the building, realizing when they were out of the car that it appeared to be like one of the kind of places where one would store a whole bunch of chickens and not a home. But still, the lights were on, so they figured that they would give it a try. They approached the building as a group, looking in the semi-open sliding door to find a big empty room. Hanging fluorescent lights lit the room like it was daytime and they couldn't see a soul. There were no cars, but one of Mr. Mays' friends was convinced that he saw someone as they pulled up. So they decided to go inside and see if there was an office or something where someone might still be working. Why else would they have this huge place lit up like that, right? There were no doors on the inside of the building. Again, it was just a giant empty hall. So, the group roamed around the property and over towards the silo. As they got closer, they noticed what appeared to be a cellar door. At this point, I remember Mr. Mays telling the entire class to learn from his idiotcy. He told us that he hadn't seen many horror movies before that time, and didn't think twice about approaching a creepy cellar door in the middle of a dark, scary foreign place. He said that approaching that door was one of his biggest regrets, in fact. Mr. Mays let the whole class know at this point that he was going to tell us as much as he deemed appropriate about the experience. He felt that we were mature enough to handle it, but advised anyone that was squeamish to leave the class early. Several students quietly gathered their things and walked out the door. A couple of them being stoners who saw this as an opportunity to smoke behind the school before their next class. I didn't even give the announcement a second thought though. Like I said, I was and am a sucker for this kind of stuff and Mr. Mace was telling a story better than anything I had ever conjured up myself. I wanted to learn from this guy, even though I didn't believe much of the story. After the class had thinned a bit... Mr. Mace continued with the story. He told the remaining few that he and his friends opened that cellar door, releasing a smell that he only described as the most putrid thing my senses have ever experienced. 
The group was no longer concerned with finding the owners of the property, but was now set on finding the source of that smell. They went down the steps into the cellar, which was lit by a single bulb spaced sporadically along the ceiling of a long hallway. No one spoke, because things had gotten too strange. The walls were lined with metal sheeting, similar to the roofing on farms. The hallway itself was crooked, and the ceilings constantly lowered and rose, like a tunnel that was hastily dug and then never touched up. There were sections where the boys had to almost crouch in order to pass, in fact. The worst part, Mr. Mays told us, was that the light bulbs continuously flickered, sometimes acting like a strobe light and making it very difficult to move through the winding and unstable hallways. In hindsight, he was certain that his mind was playing tricks on him, but he remembered seeing flashes of things that couldn't be there. He said that when you're that focused on something, or if you're that nervous, your mind can do that to you. It can just simply revolt, showing you things or people that aren't there. G'day mates. So, I just wanted to take a quick break before the second half of the story to thank all of you guys for listening to Be Scared. If you're a new listener, welcome to The Hive. And if you're a long-time fan, thanks for checking out the podcast. If you could please take a moment to do me a favor to rate and review the show, that would be a huge help. And if you have any stories that you would like to submit for future episodes, you can send them to my email at bish.buster at gmail.com. That's B-I-S-H dot B-U-S-T-A at gmail.com. Thanks again for tuning in, and without further ado, here's the rest of the story. He continued to describe the hallway, and I was on the edge of my seat at this point. The halls were windy and seemed to go on forever. But Mr. Mays guessed that they were somewhere under the creepy forest that they had driven through when they found a door, but he couldn't be sure. He said that they came upon a door after walking for what felt like a mile. It was a simple and wooden one, but it looked like it belonged outside of a suburban home. It had a nice design, seemed to be freshly painted red, and had a very nice knob and knocker on it. It was a door that belonged at the entrance to a nice house, and not one that would be sitting in a dirt tunnel in the middle of nowhere. His friend walked towards the door, moving carefully because of the flashing light bulb and increasingly uncertainty about the stability of the surrounding walls. He turned to the group, the rest of which were nervous at the very least, and attempted to lighten the mood with a laugh before he said, I, uh, I guess I should probably knock first. Mr. May's friend grabbed the steel knocker and hit it against the door several times, mockingly but quietly uttering, Uh, is anyone home? The group waited about 30 seconds before their tension broke. The guy next to the door shrugged his shoulder and went to walk back to his friends. But as he did... The light bulb between them surged and exploded. The boys shielded their eyes and looked back to their lone friend by the door. As he lowered his hands, one of the metal sheets of the makeshift roof dropped. The edge of the sheet fell directly onto the boy's forehead, slicing it open and sending a wave of blood down his face. The impact apparently knocked him out and he fell back against the door, knocking it open in the process. 
the entirety of the group rushed through the dim light to their friend, barely noticing the seemingly pitch-black room that now lay before them. Mr. Mace was the first to make it to his friend's side. He lifted the guy's head into his arms, immediately taking off his jacket and putting it over his forehead to attempt to stop the bleeding. Once the group had calmed down, Mr. Mays noticed that the arm that had been bracing his friend's head was soaking wet. He was confused about this and was attempting to sort it out when one of his friends started talking. He said something along the lines of, The lights, we have to go. When Mr. Mays took notice. So, you know when you turn off a light? He told the class. And everything is almost pitch black, except the light of the bulb dying or cooling down? It was like that, but there were so many of them. At least 20 light bulbs had lit the room seconds ago and now only look like little stars in the darkness. That was definitely terrifying, but that wasn't the scariest thing. There was still a very dim light coming from the hallway behind them, and though it was weak, it lit the room up just enough to see the shape of tens of people standing less than ten feet in front of them. Mr. Mazer's friend went to say something else as one of the bulbs to their right flickered to life. Let me interrupt at this point and say that Mr. Mays was generally a playful guy. He had that tone of voice that makes you want to respond. Basically, he could say, let's go jump off a cliff, guys, and you would want to respond with, all right, Mr. Mays, show us the way. That's a ridiculous statement, I know, but I hope it gets the point across. He was a charismatic guy, and the whole story up to this point had been told like a campfire story. He had the voice inflections of someone attempting to be mysterious and scary, which worked, but was noticeable. But at this point in the tale, I recall that everything changed completely. He was no longer attempting to spook anyone. I could tell that this section was difficult for him, in fact. Either he was a very good actor, or it was a really terrifying memory for him to relive. He told us that the light bulb came to life and illuminated the group of people in front of him. In the dim light, he could see children, at least 20 of them in just the visible light. They were all dressed in nightgowns that looked to be tattered and torn, stained dark with something. Their hair was long. Every single one of them looked like they had not had a haircut since birth. Some of the children were almost completely obscured by the length of it, in fact. Every single one of them didn't appear to have been in a shower or nice bath in their entire life either. Mr. Mays told us that the most terrifying part of the whole thing, though, was that none of the children were moving. They were all standing, staring, most of them only visible from the faint light reflecting off of their eyes. His whole group was paralyzed with fear for several seconds, when they heard what sounded like an animal in the distance, yelping. The way it was described was like the sound of a dog crying, multiplied by ten. This spurred the group to life just as the children began to step forward. His friends grabbed the injured one and lifted him out of the room and into the hallway in an instant. Mr. Mays 
took another second to move and had difficulty finding his bearings. He reached to his left in an attempt to find a wall to lean against and ended up finding a handle, then pulled hard, never losing his vision on the children. He bolted to the door right as he noticed what he had grabbed onto, a shower head protruding from a cement wall, reaching maybe a foot into the room. There was something leaking from it too, but it was too dim to tell what it was. He realized that it had been leaking onto him, but he didn't care. There were now children stammering towards him as an animal cried in the distance, and his friend was seriously injured. As he left the room, he made a point to emphasize that he could make out several more shower heads on the wall near the single dim light bulb. Yeah, so this is why they called them the showers, Mr. Mace told the class. I was transfixed, sitting as far forward on my desk would allow, bracing for more. So I slammed the red door behind me, he said, and ran through that hallway faster than I've ever run before or since. I made it back to the car and we drove out of there like a bat out of hell. A couple of students snickered at his use of the word hell. So, when you're out trick-or-treating tonight, make sure you know exactly where you're headed, okay? And don't go out to any abandoned farmhouses. I mean, there aren't many around here, but you're all smart kids. Except Jerry. The class laughed at this, and the mood lightened as the bell rang for passing period. Mr. Mace turned the light on and thanked everyone for listening reminded them about the paper due next week and told us to have a safe and happy Halloween. The students all around me were abuzz with theories about the story they just heard. I bet it's some sort of crazy Nazi hideout, said one girl. I think they're all ghost babies that were killed by a dog, said another. I, on the other hand, couldn't theorize in the slightest. I was still caught up in that moment. The way that Mr. Mazer told that story and the detail that he'd included in it left me feeling that we didn't get the whole story. A couple of days later, I stayed after class and asked him about how it really ended and what happened to his friend. He laughed and said that his friend was fine and that it was honestly, and he whispered this part, probably due to some of the drugs that they were on at the time. Mr. Mays winked at me as if to say, don't tell anyone about the drugs bit, kid. And I smiled and just left. I lived in that town for another couple of months and then was rapidly moved halfway across the county to Milwaukee, Wisconsin. I twisted the story around and told it around campfires as I got older and it was always a hit, but I always changed the ending, letting the friend die of blood loss or some being dragged away by the children. It wasn't until college that I had the chance to talk to Mr. Mays again. I went to college in northern New York, not for any reasons associated with this story. College was a fun time for me, and I continued to be the hand that I always had been. It wasn't until sometime around my junior year that I ran into Mr. Mays at a bar that I frequented. Initially, I couldn't be sure that the person I saw laying with his head buried in his arm at the bar was Mr. Mays. The only trait that grabbed my attention was a sweater that he used to wear on his birthday during class. 
The shirt simply read, I'm the birthday boy. I told my group of friends to grab a table and that I would join them in a second, then walked over to the man at the bar. Mr. Mays? I said, and the man looked up. The man took a second to look at my face before he smiled and put a hand on my shoulder and said, Hey there, son. How you been? I could smell some strong whiskey on his breath and his cheeks were flushed. The look in his eyes told me that he was three sheets to the wind and probably had no idea who I was. Mr. Mays, it's Jack. I was a student of yours for a couple of semesters about six or so years ago. His face changed a bit and a genuine look of recognition set in. He took a calmer tone, smiled and said, Ah, yeah, I remember. How have you been, Jack? We talked for a solid 20 minutes. I told him what I'd been doing for the last several years and he also told me. Apparently, he was teaching at the same school doing the same old shtick, as he called it. I asked him if everything was alright, and he said that they were as good as they ever had been, or ever were going to get. It took me a while to realize that I was an adult that was having a conversation with another adult. Every time I had spoken to Mr. Mace previously, it had been in the student-teacher relationship. But now... I was just a guy having a drink with a friend at the bar. My friends eventually left and I continued to drink with Mr. Mays. He told me about his divorce and his kids, things that I never would have asked or cared about previously. But now, I cared. He was a real person to me, not just an idol anymore. This was a guy who had real problems, not the infallible teacher that I once thought he was. It had been several hours before I even brought up the story about the showers. I told him all about my history and urban legends and scary stories and he just laughed. When I mentioned the story that he told us years ago, he almost seemed uncomfortable. He finished his whiskey, signaled for another and then turned to me and got really serious. Listen Jack... I don't know why I kept telling that story year after year. His words were slightly slurred, or my hearing was messed up. We were both sufficiently blitzed at this point. That was what my therapist told me to do when I was younger. I had to tell people it, to come to grips with it or some shit. He took a big swig of his drink. Wait, your therapist? I said. Mr. Mays laughed heartily and looked at me. <laughs> of course, Jack. You think that something like that wouldn't fuck a person up? I was confused, but smiled nonetheless. Things had just gotten really strange. But, I mean, you said you were all on drugs or something, right? No one was too terribly hurt. You were all okay, right? He got almost cartoonish with his sadness in the next several seconds. Of course we didn't, Jack. Why do you think I'm here right now? I was puzzled. quickly filled with a thousand questions that I wanted to ask him, but I let him carry on. Tim fucking... 
he didn't make it. He laughed. His laugh turned suddenly to tears. They fucking took him. They did. I don't even know. Cops told us that we were just drunk. That he wandered off and got taken by the wildlife. He didn't know. He didn't see it, Jack. I was absolutely stoned face at this point. Mr. Mays was carrying along like I knew the actual story. But I didn't. His friend disappeared. I wish... Wish they'd found the body, though, at least. Then we could have shown them. He sighed. That's a bad place, Jack. I don't know anything else to say. It's a bad place. He carried on for a couple of minutes more about his friend and the fun they'd had before they went on that trip. And I let him talk. It was only a few minutes later that his phone rang. Hey, sweetheart, he whispered into the phone. Yeah, yeah, I'll be out in a second. Right, <clears throat> love you, baby. The person on the other end hung up on the phone and Mr. Mays got up to leave. You know, it's been nice seeing you, Jackie. You've got a good head on your shoulders, boy. Make sure you use it, okay? He began to walk out of the bar. <sighs> Mr. Mays? I yelled after him. Yeah, Jack? He turned back towards me. Where'd you say all that showers business took place? Where? Hell, I didn't mention it, did I? It's somewhere outside Broken Bow, Nebraska. Fucking hell on earth, if you ask me. Mr. Mays walked out of the bar after waving to me, running into the wall before eventually finding the door. And that was the last time that I would see him. I'd never be able to tell him the impact that he had on my life. Or rather, the impact that his story had on me. He'd never know about the trip that we took after graduation, almost mimicking the one that he and his friends had made. He would never know that the things that he saw at that place were... real. Why? Well... He died about a month later. His liver failed on him. It's alright though, because his family was with him in the hospital room. He got to die around people that cared about him. And that's all a man like him can ask for. But I experienced that place too, several years later. That's where my story turns, in fact. The following is the story of how I came to find the showers and why I'll never, ever go anywhere near Nebraska again. I'll finish this story when I sober up. My memory isn't clear enough just yet. G'day mates, it's Bee Buster here. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of the Be Scared Podcast. And please, don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss next week's episode too. Also, it would be much appreciated if you could share this new podcast with your friends and family and on social media too. Thanks again for listening, guys, and I'll see you mates in the next one.
Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com.